Sunday morning in 1942, C.S. Lewis climbed into the pulpit of St. Mary's Church, Oxford, England, and preached one of the most important sermons of his career. It was titled, The Weight of Glory. At the start of his conversation about glory, he said, either glory means to me fame, or it means luminosity or brightness. As for the first, since to be famous means to be better known than other people, the desire for fame appears to me as a competitive passion and therefore of hell rather than heaven. As for the second, who wishes to become a kind of living electric light bulb? (laughs) But then he makes a turn as he begins reflecting on the biblical references to glory and he starts making a case in this sermon for glory as the greatest need of the human soul. We've been thinking about glory and the different words used in the Bible for glory, not very many, just two in the Old Testament. Pastor Javon introduced us to the first, when we started the series two weeks ago, Shekinah. Shekinah means dwelling, specifically the manifestations of God's dwelling with people. It usually is symbolized in bright fashion, hence C.S. Lewis's mention of luminosity. We're reminded we all need bright moments in life. We all need times when God interrupts us and reminds us we live in a divinely invaded world. And we need moments where we remind ourselves, I'm not just grinding my way through a purposeless, dull life. It's meant to be glorious. And then our other word I introduced last week, kabod. Kabod is part of the name Ichabod. Kabod means glory, but in Hebrew, when you put an I in front of the word, it negates its meaning. Much like putting an A in front of theist. A theist believes in God, but when you say atheist, now you're talking about somebody who does not believe in God. Ichabod was the name of the grandson of the priest Eli. When the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen by the Philistines in battle and taken away from Israel, and that word reached Eli, he fell over and died. And at that very moment, his grandson was born, And the boy's mother named him Ichabod because the glory of Israel had been removed. I'm so glad that my daughter and son-in-law did not name my grandson Ichabod. (laughs) Kabod, in the nearly 200 times it's used in the Old Testament, is translated glory, but its literal meaning is weight or heaviness. It is a reference to something of value like a purse where one would keep one's money. Remember, this was a time in which there was no paper currency. The coins were used for currency, and the bigger the coins, the more money. So the heavier a purse string, the weightier it is. A word that means weight or heaviness is used for glory because it says when we talk about glory, we are talking about that which is most valuable in the human experience. 
This is the understanding of glory in Isaiah's reference in chapter 40 and verses that are also used to describe the work of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. The prophet says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Now, the prophet is speaking to the exiles of Israel who have been removed from their homeland, much like the Ark of the Covenant that had been taken away. They have been taken as prisoners of war to Babylon. And between them and their desired home place is this vast wilderness, a desert that's barren. Claus Vesterman describes a wilderness this way, that which separates the people from their homeland. Have you ever been separated from where you want to be? Have you ever felt distant from the place where you believe if I could just get there, I would be living my best life? I would have glory in that kind of location. Sometimes that's a physical space. Sometimes it's an emotional space. Now, another biblical understanding of wilderness describes the wilderness this way, the place of destruction's aftermath. Anybody here ever been through a hurricane before? <laughs> Any folks been through a hurricane? Oh, come on, you're shy about it. I know we don't get many hurricanes in Indiana, but maybe in some other place where you lived, you would understand how scary it is to be in a hurricane. You're maybe hunkering down to get through the storm and you hear it raging, you hear the wind, you hear things cracking and falling, and then eventually the storm passes and the sky's clear and you venture outside to witness the destruction, much like people did in Florida a few weeks ago after Hurricane Ian. You see all the destruction, destruction's aftermath. And what happens is your fear starts to turn into futility. How am I ever going to rebuild my life from this? How can I ever get my life back? The, the sense of futility, the sense of separation from where I want my life to be, that's what the exiles are experiencing. And into this scene, Isaiah comes and announces glory. How can you announce glory in a time like that? Because the prophet is saying that in your wilderness, God is going to make a road. God is going to clear path and is going to once again take your life to a place that feels glorious again. Why? Because you matter to God. God values you. Value glory God does not give up on you glory is the recognition and the experience of how much we matter to God think of the announcement of the angels to the shepherds they sang overhead glory to God in the highest and what and peace on earth to those whom God favors now think about this idea of weight and favoring. If you ever favor one leg, what are you doing? Aren't you leaning your weight to one side? You're putting your weight on one leg more than another. You're favoring it. Glory means God is throwing God's weight around on your behalf. God has come 
to favor you, to let you know you are favored. This, in the act of Jesus Christ, is what God brings into our world, this recognition that we're favored. And this raises a very important understanding of glory, that glory is given, not gotten. You can't really get glory. On your own, you might get a glimpse of glory, but it'll always be a glory that's fleeting. In the early part of the 20th century, there was a boy in Italy who wanted to have fame and glory in life. He wanted to be able to walk around his hometown and surrounding area and be recognized by people, to be known for who he is, to have glory. He came to America as a young man and learned about one of the newest businesses in America, the film industry. Because of his dark features that really stood out, producers put him in some silent films, and he became very popular. And then they decided to give him a nickname, the Latin Lover. And his fame took off. You probably know by now I'm talking about Rudolph Valentino. He was one of Hollywood's first sex symbols, was immensely popular in America. And then Rudolph Valentino went home to Italy and silent films had not made it to his part of Italy. Nobody knew he was popular and famous and that he had glory back in America. Back in Italy, he was just Rudolph. He was the same person. In fact, his features didn't even stand out there. He said, there were guys back in my hometown a lot better looking than me. He died at 31 years old. Maybe one did not have anything to do with the other, but I do find another statistic very interesting, that celebrities are four times more likely to take their lives than average citizens. Glory can't be gotten. Glory must be given. And this is what God does for us in Jesus Christ. God brings glory we cannot get on our own, letting us know that we are favored by God. And let me tell you what, a moment ago, baptizing my grandson was glory. That was glory. But it is glory every time we perform baptisms of children. Because we are imparting upon children this notion that they are chosen by God. That God loves them and chooses them. And the goal of our children's ministry is to help form that in young lives. Because as they grow up, they're going to grow up with temptations to find their glory in other things. To find their glory in what people say about them to find their glory and how well they can live up to worldly success, things that are going to always be fleeting. And where is that going to leave a child if somewhere deep down in the foundation of their soul they don't have something that pulls back against it and says, no, no, my glory is based on something else, something that can't be taken away. Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City 
preaches a sermon called Beholding the Glory of Christ. In fact, you can find this on the internet. Just Google Tim Keller, Beholding the Glory of Christ. It's a marvelous sermon. And I really encourage you to listen to this, this sermon because he, he makes the case that this understanding of glory is so significant in our lives. It may be the most important thing. To establish this point, he quotes the British theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones who reflects on a verse from John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 22. I have given them, this is Jesus praying, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. Think about this. Jesus is saying that the glory I have from God is the glory that's given to you the same Because God loves you as much as God loves Jesus, even as. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, more and more it seems to me that most of our problems, indeed if not all of them, arise from the simple fact that we fail to realize, understand, and appreciate what is the real truth about us. We read these things in the scripture without meditating on them, so we don't realize that these are not abstract truths, they're truths about us. If we did that our entire lives, we would be revolutionized. And then Tim Keller in this sermon turns to the congregation and says, do you believe that? And then he answers the question right away. He says, no, you don't. If you believed it, you'd be happier. If you believed it, you wouldn't let criticism bother you as much. And he says, and the same is true of me. I struggle to believe it as much as anybody else. I need to be grounded in this understanding because it's the source of our happiness. But where do you get happiness from? How do you make your life happy? And he says, let me tell you what won't do it, willpower. Because everything that makes you unhappy is often scratching at the surface of a false love. You have to change your loves. He imagines a doctor saying to somebody, you better quit working so hard. If you keep working the way you're doing, you're going to cut your life short. That person could leave the doctor's office. They could know everything they've got to do to cut back, but it's probably not going to succeed if they just will themselves to do it because there's an underlying love. I love success. I love recognition. I love money. You've got to replace it with another love, a love that comes from a source that gives you a sense of security and value. Tim Keller says, sometimes I hear people say, I just cannot let go of the betrayal of that person. I can't let go of my resentment for what they did to me. And he says, let me tell you one thing, I never see work in a person's life who says that. Just willpower, I've got to just let it go. And they never let it go because they're holding on to another love. I love my reputation. I love the affirmation I get from people. And until you love something more, the one who gives you affirmation, the one who gives you acceptance, that's what will begin to change, and you have to ground yourself in it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. And we who contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. It takes contemplation It takes regularly reminding ourselves of what God says about us. Worshiping, reading scripture, praying, contemplating to hold on to this. You don't get it from coming to a Christmas Eve service once a year. It takes more. 
But when we have that, we discover what the artist Jill Sakakini was trying to communicate in a picture she painted called Eclat, the French word that means glory. She imagines Mary, and it's kind of a modern impressionist painting. This painting and this image is supposed to be Mary retreating to her private room after the Annunciation, after she has found out from the angel Gabriel, you are going to bear the Savior of the world. And once she begins to move past the fear and the what-ifs, she experiences this ecstatic joy. We lit the candle of joy today on the Advent wreath. This joy of going, me, me, God chooses me. Wow, this is the way God wants us to live, knowing that this is who we are with God, and it's glory. But just like Mary would bear God's son into the world, we also are called to bear glory. Glory is not just something we receive. It's given. Glory is given. We're called to give glory. The Westminster Catechism, the teaching that formed the early Puritans who came to America, had as its number one truth that the chief end of humanity is to glorify God. What does God glorify? People. When we glorify God, we throw our weight around. We use what God has given us to give favor to other people, to lift them up. Let me read another part of C.S. Lewis's sermon, The Weight of Glory. Toward the end of the message, he says this, it may be possible for each to think too much of one's own glory, it is hardly possible for one to think too often or too deeply about the glory of one's neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. We are called to give the glory that we receive. We who celebrate the true meaning of Christmas, and I don't just mean a holiday, I don't just mean put up a tree and give gifts to people who already have more than they need. I don't just mean go to parties and eat and drink more than we should and be with people we already like. I mean celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. We who do that have the secret. We know the secret to happiness, that our happiness lies in a source of glory we can't begin to get on our own, that it is God's gift to us and that life becomes full and complete when we seek to share that glory. And here's the secret we discover. The only way to keep your glory is to give it away. Isn't that odd? The only way to keep your value is to share it, to give it. 
and you find it coming back. Let me close with this story. Carver McGriff, former senior pastor of our church, is 98 years old. I don't know what we'll do when he becomes a senior citizen one day. Uh, Just a few months ago, Carver was honored in the Indiana Military Veterans Hall of Fame. You see uh, Senator Young standing beside him. He was the only surviving World War II vet to be at the ceremony. Carver has told a story before. Some of you probably heard this. It was when he was a boy, about eight or nine years old. He and his brother Stuart, who was a couple of years younger than him, wanted to do something for their mother's birthday because they knew how much their mother loved them and did for them. And so they came up with an idea that they would bake her a cake because they felt like this would be something special that they would give their mom. But Carver nor his brother knew anything about baking a cake. So they went and they bought a a box of mix. And they didn't really understand the measurements and all the stuff and the ingredients. And they made a total wreck of the kitchen, putting the batter together, stirring it up, pouring it in the pan, putting it in the oven. Oh, yeah, we forgot to grease the pan. It didn't really rise. They, they, they scooped it out of the pan as best they could, different layers, smeared it with icing on it. That evening after the dinner of their mother's birthday, Carver and his brother quietly got up from the table, went to the kitchen, put a candle on it, lit the candle, opened the door and said, surprise! And they put the cake in front of their mother. Carver says, one thing you need to know about my my mother, she never shares emotion. And she just stared at this cake. And then all of a sudden, she burst into tears. And Carver and his brother just stood there And he leaned over to his brother and he said, was it that bad? (laughs) And Carver said, it wasn't. It wasn't until much later in life that that I, I realized what my mother received and what I gave. There's only one word that describes it. Glory. Let us pray. Lord, we all need glory in our lives. Sometimes the world beats the heck out of us. Sometimes we beat the heck out of ourselves. We need to remember how special we are to you, special enough that you would take the extraordinary step of leaving the glory of heaven to become like us, to let us know how much we matter to you. As ones who know that secret, may we believe it in our hearts and be restored with its truth over and over so that we can hold on to that glory by living to give it away. In your son's name, the baby Jesus, we pray. Amen.